Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and I have with me today Dr. Joe Malone. He's a PhD, CPT, LMMC, LWMC, and CFE. He's got all the letters. Uh, Dr. Malone is a psychologist, and he taught for many years at Tennessee State University. He's lectured at Vanderbilt and Princeton and University of Miami, Alabama, Catholic, Catholic University of America. Been all over the place speaking and teaching. Um, in 2012, he worked with um, creating the new course, uh, called Women's Personal Conditioning, along with the Sorority Wellness Program, which was extraordinarily successful and effective. He was also named the Greek Faculty Member of the Year 2010 and 2016. So he's worked with college students and sororities and, and um, fraternities to really help them be healthier. He's also a neuropsych... Uh, holds a PhD in health and human performances with a minor in neuropsychology and specialization in women's health and sexual wellness. Um He's been in lots of magazines, published in a lot of things. Um, and then he, Dr. Malone, served on the CDC initiative for STI prevention, which is sexually transmitted infections and diseases and for the state of Tennessee. He's been happily married to his wife, Jody for over 40 years. And he's also co-author of Battle of the Sexes, which we'll get into today, and co-founder with Jody of the Sexual Integrity and Intelligence Initiative, Sex IQ. So, man, welcome. Thank you. That's a mouthful, but I'm super excited to have you on. It's not, it's not often that I have somebody on who, um, who is just so well adept in this conversation of sexuality and sexual health. It's so few people are talking about it. So I'm, I've been really excited to connect with you. Um, so how's it going? Welcome. Thank you so much, Clint. I've been excited to talk with you as well. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and uh, appreciate your background and, and all of the expertise you bring to all of this. So looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. I'm just learning, man. So we got connected uh, for y'all listening. Recently, we both got to do some uh, filming with America Unchained Project. It is a, um, a nonprofit working with human trafficking and, and just children being exploited and sexual trauma and pornography and all the unhealthy things going on in the world. And so there were several people that got to be a part of this project. And um, I'm not sure. Do you know when it comes out? I think she said fall. Okay. I think, the, I think the editing process, she's got a little bit more interviewing to do, I think, in August. I think uh, sometime in the fall. Yeah. And so they interviewed you on the effects of hypersexuality on kids, which I can't wait to hear because I, I talked a little bit about something different. Um, so kind of tell us how you got connected with that uh, Unchained Project and what was your focus on that in that conversation for those that might not watch it or see it. Sure. Well, uh, somebody referred me to to uh, charity, um, and I'm not exactly sure who it is. It was, I've ended up speaking with so many different people these days. You know how that is. Yep. 
Um, but I appreciate whoever it was and um, really had a resonant uh, situation with Charity once we got to know her. And we actually had her, my wife and I had her over to, uh, to dinner here in Nashville and before the, before we did the taping. And uh, yeah, it was really, really, um, really, really positive uh, situation there. You know, I, I've been aware of, of trafficking, you know, sex trafficking and child trafficking in the past, but it really wasn't uh, up on my radar screen as much as it is now. And, uh, you know, particularly with the recent uh, Sound of Freedom movie, mm-hmm. that, the movie that's come out. But um, I've always known it was a huge uh, problem and, and just one of the worst, worst problems. And so I was happy to and grateful to be able to uh, lend any kind of expertise I could to the to the situation and the question and and so um, I felt like we had a really good uh, taping and, and uh, hopefully she came away with some some good um, material that she can use you know going forward on on uh, putting the project together and then she you know she related, related that yourself uh, you know that, we, that you were interviewed for it and you know I, again I gained a lot of um, insight uh, to folks like yourself's expertise and and the angle that you're coming at things from so it was a big educational project for me i gotta say i, I learned a lot out of it so um and then uh, you and i coming together on this i just felt really grateful and, and humbly humbly thankful to be able to to jump on your podcast with you and, and and learn some more absolutely man i'm i'm excited about it and hopefully we can have continued conversation i think um when I find men who are, you know, kind of cut from the same cloth and working in the same vein, it's, it's nice to hopefully we can keep up an email and talk because man, I just feel so isolated sometimes. And, you know, in this work, I'm sure you felt the same way as a male and therapy and, and, and being dealing with emotional intelligence, just being kind of in the minority of a lot of things and feeling, you know, a little ostracized or, or put out. I don't, have you felt that way over your career? Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was just talking to a young woman, uh, regarding her uh ministry uh towards uh young women that are hooked on pornography and she made the point well it's really um unusual to have a male you know (laughs) with the kind of background that you have that i have you know and uh yeah i felt all all along all along the way that uh oftentimes you know the counseling profession and and all of it we're, we're talking about here is is pretty much female dominated so um she made the point. I agreed with her. It's important to have both males and females, you know, engaged in this situation and uh, bringing both perspectives to it. But uh, I never expected to be, you know, in this situation. Really, it's been a, I think, providential uh, pathway that that I've ended up where I'm at here. But it's always good, you know, to to completely answer your question. It's always good to run into another man who is, like you said, cut out of the same cloth and has the same worldview and mindset and realizes the importance of what we're dealing here. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's good. And we need more fathers stepping up and men in the church and men within, you know, professionalism to step up and kind of take the lead. I think it's hard in our culture now, um, especially, you know, with a lot of cancel culture and a lot of the history of male abuse and, and dominance and all this kind of things, which which are valid justifications, but you know, I would want women to speak into men, men to speak into women and vice versa so that we can all be as healthy as possible. And so when you read, you know, your credentials are mine and it's like healthy, you know, helps women with healthy sexuality. And it's like, well, what does he know? He's a dude, you know? And it's like, well, maybe we all need a little bit of uh, perspective from the other side from time to time so that we're not blinded by our own biases. Right. And, you know, when you think about it, Clint, you know, we think back to the beginning of human history 
from that point forward, you know, males and females have had to work together and, and, you know, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> we wouldn't be here as a species if, uh, if they hadn't done that. So the ability to do that and to solve problems together and, you know, laugh together, I, that's something I've heard. I heard somebody that was wise about marriage a long time ago, spoke into Jody's in my marriage. They said that in order to have a successful marriage, you got to be able to do for sure two things. And one is solve problems together. And the others is laugh together. And I really found that to be true over the years that those two things keep coming up, you know, all the time and they're extremely important along with a lot of other things. Yeah, man, that's good. Yeah. Well, me and my wife have those two for sure. We can solve problems and we do a lot of laughing and our boys are obnoxious and we're all for very extroverted. We're a lot to handle when we're all together and you know, we're around our introverted friends Our one of our best friends, Ashley, which I'll give her a shout out. She's introverted and her kids are extroverted too. And you know, so it's just a lot going on in our house when all, all eight of us are together, but we enjoy it, man. And we got to laugh and you got to laugh at the kids and just, you know, shake your head and lower your expectations and enjoy it because it's, too fast and too quick, man. It goes by so quickly. Um, tell me a little bit about you and just where you're from, how you got into what you do, and, and just as much of your story as you want to kind of share leading up to what you do now. Sure. Um, well, I worked for a long time here in the Nashville area uh, in the fitness industry and uh, health and fitness industry and um, was, was concerned, you know, with people just physical health, uh, you know, again, their their illness or not you know again we were dealing in the from the mid 90s to about the 2005 we were dealing with a lot of folks with heart disease and cancer and you know you name it from from the life of affluence that here in this affluent um, suburb of nashville that they were dealing with and i was literally um it's like one-on-one you know we're working with people one-on-one and i found that extremely frustrating because there were so many of them and so few of us you know to and you probably felt that in your work as well. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, I think scripture says something about that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the many, the fields being white. Um, but it was one of those things where I ended up with, uh, one of my clients actually died on the beach down in, in Florida. And that was, that was tough of a heart attack. Mm. And then, um, another, not a client, but a member, I was on management duty and I ended up giving him chest compressions and, uh, from a heart attack and he did he didn't make it and it was just a horrible 25 minutes or or so of him you know trying to live and me trying to a couple of us trying to help him live and uh not succeeding so i was considering getting out you know getting out of the whole thing because i was just it was depressing and d- disillusioning but i had a chance again i think this is all providential because it just didn't come about i don't think by by chance i had the opportunity to to um teach at one of the, the area universities middle tennessee state university uh here in the nashville area on a on a master's at the time uh and um during that time frame i learned of this research that you may be aware of called maternal imprinting or fetal imprinting or developmental origins of health and disease and realized that the the upshot of that research was that if you work with girls and young women um, from the time really kind of around puberty until they get to the point where they're having they're being, you know, carrying babies that if you could help them be healthy, you're helping not only them, but probably their future two children or maybe more. And, and of course their husband, hopefully. Um, so you're getting a multiple effect there. You're getting a multiplier effect. And I, uh, when I was talking with the folks there at the university, they said, well, that's a, that's a really unique idea. 
and, and a really, um, I think, important idea. They said, why don't you do a PhD around it? And so I, I, I said, yeah, I think that's a great idea. So I did. <laughs> Create, and I ended up creating a, a college women's uh, wellness program there. It started out just being a, a college women's um, personal conditioning, uh, women's personal conditioning class. But I ended up having a lot of the sorority women, as you can imagine, on the campus in, in the class. And they kept, they asked me to come and work with their sororities. And that's kind of how it blossomed into a, a wellness program. And again, to make a long story short here, because there was a five years of actually teaching and teaching that. I taught, I taught that from about, from 2005 to 2017, so 12 years. And during the teaching of the class uh, and then getting the PhD, I, I interviewed 32 of them in depth and then also did 10 focus groups um, with 10, 10 different classes, all women's classes. And as you'd expect, the their eating situation, the nutrition situation on campus was really tough. Uh, the getting time to do your exercise and you know, routine was tough and all the other things, the, the, the holistic problems that they had, you know, just generally living with yeah. their jobs and everything. But this big, the biggest thing that I came across that I wasn't expecting, I was totally unaware of Clint was this thing they called hookup culture. Mm -hmm. And with hookup culture, I, re I realized that, boy, this is really damaging them and a lot more than anything that I else had been paying attention to. So I went to my committee, my PhD committee, and said, "Listen, I've kind of, kind of come, come across this uh, phenomenon that I think is more important. Can I? Would you be okay if we shifted? If I shifted towards more of a sexual wellness approach rather than just your typical holistic wellness, college women's wellness program?" They said, "Yeah, we, there's nobody else doing that that we know of." So, again, I think that was a uh, again a, a providential situation, and I didn't realize it uh, at the time. But the 12 years I was there, particularly the five that I was teaching the all women's classes, I was ruffling feathers on the in the political realm. Um, there was folks there that didn't want to have a class just for for females. Uh, they wanted it to be both, you know. And again, ironically, these were women and genders folks that uh studies folks that were uh worried about the the women being in class by themselves and not being good enough or whatever to be in the in the the men's class again they had the they had the option to be in the co-ed class anytime they wanted to but two-thirds of them were choosing to be in the, in the women's class mm. um they seemed to kind of like curves incorporated they they, they kind of, a lot of them ended up wanting to work out on their own so ended up getting canceled actually in 2017 they can't literally canceled my classes I didn't realize at the time what cancellation was, uh, but that's what happened. <laughs> and in the in the meantime, I'd been writing this book that you mentioned earlier, uh, co-authoring it with one of my former 2007. She was in my class uh, students there, that was um, now a nutritionist. And so, again, the the book had started off um, in the direction of just your standard college women's wellness type of a book, and also men's. I mean, it, it, we included men in it as well. But mostly it was focused on women's situation because that's what I've been dealing with. And um, <clears throat> about three-fourths of it ended up being on on uh, sexual wellness for, for young women of that age. Because, again, as I as I kind of went down that rabbit hole um, and, and learned what was going on with them as far as the casual sex and, and uh, the heartache, heartbreak, uh, um, anxiety, depression all things you're familiar with, I know. Um, I, I found out this is just this huge uh, change that's happened since I was an undergraduate, which was way back when. And it's, it's been for the, the worst, you know, so. Yeah. So 
wrote the book um ended up being mostly about sexual wellness i, I was canceled thinking wondering okay okay god what do we do now you know um i'm no longer teaching and i got this book what was the was, reason for cancellation uh i didn't want to go along with the I didn't go along with the gender ideology that they're trying to get me to teach. Um, again, that was early, you know, there not many people knew what we meant by gender ideology and, and, uh, teaching sex as a social construction, as opposed to teaching it as a biological, you know, outcome basically mm -hmm. of, of, uh, how you're born and all the things that I, I was learning, you know, in my research, uh, of physically how, how we are, how we're different male and female and, how it's all designed to come together um, and all of that. So they didn't want me, literally they told me, they told me along the way, my, my supervisor, um, he goes, he, at one point he goes, cause he knew that I drove an hour to get there. He said, what do you listen to on the way over? And I said, well, just whatever, whatever. He goes, ever listen to NPR? And I said, yeah, sometimes. And which was true. And he goes, you should do more of that. And then he goes, it seems like you have a code that you live by. And I said, um, I try to. He goes, "Are you a Christian?" And he goes, and I go, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian." He goes, "You probably would want to. You'll probably want to rethink that too." So, <laughs> this is like 2014, 2015. So, um, <clears throat> from that far back, you know, when being on the university campus, you could you could see a lot of what we're seeing in society today. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, trying to kind of, well, uh, taking over basically. I guess is what you'd say. So. The reason would be is that I didn't go along with the uh, the culture, and it was obvious that they were trying to have me go along with the culture. And all you have to do, I guess, is just say, "Yeah, you know, I, I think I can see it that way. I see what you see what you mean." And except, I know that's not the truth, you know. So, so that's how the cancellation ended up happening. Interesting, but uh, yeah, but it was. Um, it ended up that uh, ended up with a book and it was the way that the book was designed to be used on secular campuses to be able to raise their sex IQ because I could tell <laughs> I'd learned enough. And, and of course, learning what I'd had in my research, my PhD research, but also knowing um, what their situation was there and, and kind of the, the norms uh, that were involved. I, I knew that uh, there was a whole lot of, um, sexual conflict that was going on because of the, the situation. And then uh, there was very little sexual empathy because neither the males nor the females could really envision what the others, other one, how they were seeing things compared to how they were, they themselves were seeing it. So uh, I could, I could see there was a, a, um, a huge um, area for, for uh, education to be able to help that. So um, what happened though was, again, I think it's providential. There's a group from um, Princeton that read read the book. They're called the Love and Fidelity Network. And in 2018, so the book came out in fall of 2018. Uh, and this is Battle, battle me, of the Sexes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And they said, could you come up and speak at our conference? And uh, I had never heard of the Love and Fidelity Network. And, but I, so, of course, I looked them up and, and I, I said, I would love to come up and speak at your conference. And the story on them is that one of their young women back in 2007 that founded the organization got tired of hookup culture being the only uh, option on Princeton's campus. So she founded this love and fidelity network. And there were so many on the, so many people when they heard about it on the other Ivy league campuses wanted the same thing that it ended up easily being established. And right after 2007 on to 
uh, all the campuses on the Ivy League have chapters now, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Stanford, and other Hillsdale, other elite co colleges and universities all have have um, chapters. So I went up there, my wife and I, because she always goes, Jody goes everywhere with me these days, which I think is great. I mean, that's kind of, that's our message is how important that, that, that marriage is. But uh, we went there and I spoke and um, it was extremely successful. And I uh, it was a great learning experience for me. But the, the upshot of that is from there, then I went from there to Catholic University and uh, University of Miami, uh, Alabama. It's just, you know, you, you name different places. And I've been to a lot of them these days because there are these groups on campuses that are interested in the real science for, for one thing, which is what I try to share. But the other thing is um, they're interested in more of a traditional approach, you know, to relationships and they see the wisdom in it. And particularly on those elite campuses, you have a lot of, a lot of brain power um, represented there. And there's, and the, particularly the male side of it, um, one of the correlations that we found uh, with uh, I guess uh, the the ability to discern the the value of an exclusive relationship, or I guess you'd say monogamy. Mm -hmm. um, the top twenty percent uh, in intelligence on the male side are the ones who are able to discern that. Now it leaves eighty percent that that aren't. But and on the other side, it's more like twenty eighty the other way, where yeah. the eighty percent of the, the women uh, discern it. So, so all, all that said. Um, Things have just kind of kind of gone from one play one to another to another to another, but it's all pretty much been a lot of Christian groups. It's been all pretty pretty much been groups that are interested in not what the society is saying these days, and not all the you know not all the things I mentioned earlier that um, that are they go against you know the way that's traditionally traditionally courtship has been and traditional marriage engagement all uh, family and all that type of thing so so and not only that uh at one point well let me tell you the princeton one of the princeton story when we were up there i think it was the third day you know of the conference i'd already spoken and um this pair of young women came up to jody and i because we were going through the vendors booths and all jody again be my wife and um she uh this this couple of young young women suddenly out of nowhere they walk up to us and they said we've been watching you guys <laughs> i turned to jody and i said you know uh oh what we do yeah you know? and and uh but then she continued on again this extremely you know intelligent young woman she goes we've been watching you and we and we went to your we went to your talk the other night she goes that it was great she said but we've been watching you guys and we can see that you're we've been able to see over the days that we've been watching you that you're still really in love and uh kind of gets me emotional to think about it. she goes and that's much more important than anything you said Ooh. in your in your talk you know and so uh a very first kind of speaking situation like that and to have that happen i've never forgotten that that that's amazing man yeah you know, yeah so how you you know what what how you are makes is a bigger is a bigger message than than what you say oh absolutely man people watch your feet and especially in the world right now where most of those kids and teens and, and young adults have, have no model for it. So you can give mm -hmm. them information all day long, but transformation comes with seeing it and experiencing it, you know? And, and so 
if you're if if sixty something percent of those kids are from a divorced family, and then the other percentage are from pretty unhealthy families, and what eight percent of them or less come from a family that's pretty healthy and organic, and so you're looking at ninety two percent of the college students that haven't even seen a healthy marriage. So right. for you to give the information, and then also for them to see just how you interact for a couple of days, like that's huge, and and ultimately, right, that's what discipleship is. Mm-hmm. It's it's that the church being the church and and leading a certain way and walking a certain way so that they see people see Jesus. They don't just hear about him and hear about the theoretical ideal, you know, of him, but they see him. And so I think that's such a beautiful testimony to you know what you're talking about. Tell me a little bit about what what do you think? Like, what are the major? If you could give like maybe three or four of the major discrepancies between what's going on in our society as far as the science? Like, what what are you seeing that's such a simple, maybe it's very clear, and where are we getting confused in these situations? Like, just from the science perspective, not even from, like, a biblical, you know, worldview mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> but here's what I would say. Um, and I don't use – uh, heterosexuality is my focus, my ba- my background, but, of course, when you deal with heterosexuality – you're going to end up dealing somewhat with things that aren't heterosexual. Yep. And so this whole um, situation with transgender, for for instance, and just the all, the overall LGBTQ, you know, all of it, the ones that they've added on. But with with the whole thing, you know, you're. I think what needs to be kept in mind by everybody, and this is just scientifically, is that we're talking about three to four percent of the population. You know, and so it, it appears by our, looking at our society that 50 percent of the population, you know, is dealing with this. And, and, and not that anybody, you know, numbers don't necessarily me make the importance, but the, the, the magnitude of the attention paid to it when there's all these other st- things that are going on with the heterosexuals, the 96 to 97 percent that are heterosexual that are being ignored. That's, I think, one big thing is to remember the size of the challenge with folks that are dealing with things that are, aren't heterosexual. The other thing is uh, specifically with the trans situation, most people don't, and you probably know this, but a lot of pe- other people won't know this, how that process happens and how, um, how rare it is. Now, again, we're looking at three to 4% of everything, LGBTQ, everything that isn't heterosexual. And out of that, out of that s- small slice of the pie, you're looking at a tiny, tiny percentage that are actually literally physically transgender. And again, I always try to, when I'm asked to um, elaborate on this, I try to get across the process that we've established scientifically so far of how it, it, it happens in these rare cases. And what it is, is when th- that we were talking about the in utero process earlier and so many important things happen during that time period. But one of them is that people's sexuality is set basically and the way it works is in the early part the first trimester of a pregnancy then again with a with a a baby that's xy a a male baby the testes will be established and they'll start secreting testosterone and so the the male genitalia will be be formed the first third of of the pregnancy and then later in the pregnancy presumably almost always that same testosterone environment will cause the brain uh, to organize in a male typical way. So you have two stages. You have the genitalia being set through hormonal um, 
uh, exposure, and then you have the brain being set. Well, once in a very great while, something happens, and again, scientifically, we don't know yet what it, what it might be, but the hormonal milieu that is there in the first part of the pregnancy that maybe let's just say causes it to be a male baby uh isn't there the, the, the at the middle to end uh, part of the pregnancy and so the default setting as you probably know we all start out female and to, unless there's a xy chromosome and this uh testosterone process happens so that's where you would get um somebody who has male genitalia but feels like they're a female and that is the more um often occurring uh situation but it's only this often occurring it's um one in ten thousand one in ten thousand live births so you've got a female to male um let's see male to female uh transgender the feeling of being a female when you have a male's body the other one is even more rare it's only one in thirty thousand births so where you have the opposite you know feeling from sex to one sex to the other so that's something that I would urge people to remember is that in reality, we have a very small number of people in our society that literally are going around feeling like one sex, but they have the, they have the genitalia and such of the other sex, the hormonal se- uh, profile. And you're saying that is from a biological birth genetic, would you call it malformation? I would just call it an anomaly okay. because, again, you also get a small, very small percentage that are intersex, you know, right. where it's hard to tell, it's hard to tell for the an intersex born. is born with different part, both gener- genitals, but different parts and sizes. and Right. And they're hard to distinguish. But again, a tiny, tiny number, you know, it's a tiny, tiny percentage. And what what's important to remember is that if you have 10 young people in a high school thinking they're that when you, you know, you average it out, you got about one in 20,000 chance of being either one. What's the chances of having 10, uh, 10 kids in one high school of, of a 1500 or 2000 people of that actually happening? There's almost no, there's almost literally no uh, chance of that happening. So what's going on is obviously a social contagion situation where, uh, because of a lot of factors, you know, they're going on in our society right now. A lot of, a lot of young people are, thinking they're that way but actually they're not they're literally not that way uh physically and you know eventually that's going to be borne out you know what they are actually uh from their physical inheritance in almost all cases all but you know you're looking at that again about one in twenty thousand cases um they're going to find out down the road as they as they mature more that they actually are what they were what it showed they were when they were you know what was observed when they were born basically Mm -hmm. so so to have things like breasts removed and uh, penis and testicles removed uh, as a 12-year-old or 13, 14, whatever, I think you can see the implications as far as um, the wisdom of that or the lack lack thereof. So, so that's what I would say is that from what we can tell scientifically, <clears throat> it does happen in reality. But it's extremely, extremely, I can't emphasize it enough, extremely rare uh, for it to happen in reality, so what physical sci- reality. So what science are they pointing to, the people who would disagree with you, what science are they pointing to that, that's not, that what you say is not true? 
What I think they would say, and again, most of the time, my my time is spent with heterosexuality, but I think they would say yeah, we'll that, get off this topic in a second. But I want to, yeah, no, no, it's it's kind of a, a hot topic right now, so I don't mind telling what I've what I've learned. Um, and again, it's amazing how few people know how rare that that that, that process. They don't know the process, and they don't know the numbers. Um, but they would say that because we had such a discriminatory society, such an oppressive society towards folks that were of anything that isn't heterosexual, that, uh, you know, there's been a, a pre downward pressure on people being willing to say or, or share that, that this is how they are. And so there are many, many more of them are quote unquote coming out, coming out of the closet. But I would, I would say that it's kind of the opposite is true because there's so much, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of actually reward these days to be say that you're one of these things and you know especially for a young person they're all, a lot of them have always been they've always needed and wanted to try to fit in and so having a group like this that they can fit into i think it, it all makes sense um you know throughout history there's been different groups of young people with different the way they dressed the rings they put on their body uh the different things they did they did uh rebellious type things so I think it all makes sense from a social perspective. Would you but, say eating disorders and self-harm are in that same category? That we saw those kind of rise in those things as they were kind of grouped up and I've heard that theory. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the eating disorders, uh, all of that, the potential for it has always has been there for a long time. I would say that, yeah, the, the, the pressure and the cutting and all that self-destructive stuff. I think that that's, that's um, an element of it. And then I also think that this is kind of my specialty before I got into the sexual wellness area. Um, the whole kind of environmental um, situation we've got with the super palatable food, the way that's been developed, um, the way we've moved away from our, I call it natural lifestyle matching, uh, where people used to have to labor, you know, out in the, outside in the sunshine uh, uh, or in the weather, you know, whatever the weather was. And the laboring brought brought food to them and then they needed to go labor some more in order to get more food that's humanity's natural environment and since we've moved away from that i think i think uh there's a lot of things brain wise you know neuropsychology wise that um when we're not in the natural environment we're much more addictive addiction prone yeah that's it's a great point we uh we talk about we have kids with food allergies and and i you know, had that conversation, I think on here before, but just kind of looking at what we put in our body over the last 40 or 50 years and how, you know, for thousands, you know, of years, you, you, you couldn't eat a cow that was from Mexico, you know, and that cow hadn't eaten the, the food in the environment in Mexico. And now you're eating the cow who is eating the food in Mexico, but that, that environment that he's in doesn't exist where you live and how that affects our, you know, our bodies and our hormones and our ecosystem and all that stuff. And I mean, obviously that's epigenetics and just all of the things that go into that. But I just feel like so little people even think about that or think about what they're injecting in their body or what they're taking or, you know, whatever it is, you know, they go to the doctor and get a, you know, a shot because they feel bad, but they don't have a bacterial infection. And so it, it, it seems like it's a neutral thing. Oh, I got a, you know, I got a probiotic or I got a whatever shot. If I didn't have anything, no harm, no foul, instead of looking at it as like, well, I took something and I put it in my body that I didn't necessarily need. There is a consequence. And if you do that for 40 years, there are consequences. Does that make sense? I, I agree completely. Total, it makes total sense. 
And, and they were like, where are it, all these food allergies coming from? Why do all these kids have all these food allergies? We didn't have these when I was a kid. And it's like, well, yeah, Grandpa, like they didn't also do these things for 50 years before you became a kid. Right. I mean, all of it, even just literal al allergies, just your uh, regular allergies, you know, without with kids not being out in the dirt and, and uh, all the different things that from our natural environment, when you think about it, Clint, you know, the generations before us, m my parents grew up as farmers in Southern Oklahoma and their parents and all the way back, you know, back in time, they pretty much lived the same way, you know, uh, farming wise. And then before, before that, maybe hunting and gathering wise for many, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of generations. So, um, taking us ourselves out of the, that natural environment and the radical change that's happened in my lifetime. And then of course it's been even more effect on our kids, by the way, that's our kids on the wall back there behind me. Yeah, uh, see them, that, that's our main credential. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but, but they're big enough now to have uh, kids of that size, their own, but uh, the change to their generation and then the, their generation to their kids, our grandkids. Um, yeah. It's all been really in the direction that you're talking about as far as, so many artificial things and, and not just things, but, but lifestyle really, you know, um, and that really affects us on so many levels of uh, mental and physical and just, you know, the, 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 the functioning level. And then you point out really well that the response has been that we're, we're so smart these days, we know how to create these drugs, you know, that, you know, um, mask the symptoms for, for a while till they, till they stop working. And that's both on a physical and mental level, you know, the, the, the psychotropic drugs, they only last for a while. So yeah, you point out really a, a huge challenge in our society of not realizing the importance of the past and paying attention to the past and what, how our ancestors, that's a lot of what the book's about, you know, the battles of the sexes, um, how our ancestors lived and how they related to each other, but, and also how, you know, the way they ate and the way they had to exert in order to be able to eat. That's if you, if you can, if you can imitate that, if you can imitate the way they lived, then you're going to end up being pretty healthy because the, the, in general, unless there's a, a built-in problem, the, the human body wants to be healthy given the right inputs, you know, that type of thing. So, but I realized a while back that not, and again, obviously with your work and your background, you've probably, you've realized this too, that those natural lifestyle matching, you know, uh, behavioral habits that we have, or we don't have, they are also applicable in our, in the way we live with our relationships. You know, the relationships we've had over the millennia have been, um, again, scientifically speaking, at least for uh, a long time, let's just put it that way. Um, have been at the, at the core of them have, have been a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman, you know, and, and then bringing, creating the, creating the family and then, then both working towards uh, taking care of the kids and helping them to repeat the process and that type of thing. Cause as you know, humans, um, our offspring take the longest by far in all of, uh, nature to mature. And, mm -hmm. um, back when they were hunting and gathering, having a woman, you know, once she's pregnant, um, let's say 18, 19 years old, because they, they didn't get their menstrual cycles until later in their lives compared to ours now. Yeah, tell, now. Can you tell me about that real quick? Yeah. 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 Um, again, because of the life we're talking about, they had a very, well, 
that's our natural lifestyle. <laughs> so <laughs> eating the way they did, the exercise, the exertion, you know, they had to, if you were talking about hunting gathering, it's like up to 12 miles a day of, of walking in order to find, to, to find the food. Uh, so when did we boulders. see the shift from females, you know, going from 18 down to, I mean, what is it now? 10 and 11 in some, in some ages. That's been not that long. It's, it's been about maybe 50, 60, 70 years you know, at, at the most, maybe 50 years, because it's really been from the 60s forward, because from the 60s forward is when you really start seeing the change in the lifestyle from uh, a physical life, uh, a laboring life, and, and all of that to what we have now, where it's just so much our thumbs or, you know, our, our fingers only, and, 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 and voice, you know, voice being the predominant, um, earning power and brain, I guess you'd say. So you're saying in the sixties, um, women were starting their periods at 17 and 18. No, no, no. Um, I'm, I'm saying that's when it started as far as the downward. The decline. Uh, Got it. The decline. Yeah. What I'm asking then, is when did, when does the kind of research show that it started going from 18 down? Yeah. And it would have been, it wouldn't have probably been 17, 18, even, you know, in the sixties, but it still would be up there. It would have been up there 14, 15, 16, you know, um, uh, the eighties, basically in the eighties is when just about every, all the bad things that we're experiencing today really got going. And, you know, a big part of that was, well, a couple things. One was the food supply, you know, changing out, um, the fat in, in the food supply, making fat the, the enemy, the F word, I guess you'd say, <laughs> um, and, and replacing it with carbohydrates, particularly sweet carbohydrates and, the whole keto um, movement these days is kind of all based on the, the fact that we got, we got so far out of whack starting in the 80s by removing the fat out of the, out of the diet and, and um, demonizing it that uh, ended up, you know, the obesity ended up just really, really skyrocketing mm-hmm. there. But but also, you know, the 60s and 70s was a progression of things like, you know, 1960, the birth control pill was invented um, in 60, 63. Just I'll just say this way: through the throughout the '60s and into the '70s, um, we had you know prayer taken out of school, Bible reading taken out of school. Uh, I would call it sexualizing sex ed put into school. Um, so not sex ed necessarily to keep you from you know it was sex ed to to sexualize the students in a lot of cases. And then 1970, I think it was no fault divorce, abortion '73. Um, all of these things uh, pushed. The natural lifestyle matching of what I was saying before the you you get you grow up you you know you get a girlfriend boyfriend you you go steady you get you get engaged you get married and you start having kids fairly young I mean again the the age of getting married was a much younger in almost all cases and then having children was much younger which turns out to be a lot healthier uh, as far as the the health of the woman particularly uh, her risk of cancer reproductive cancer going forward. So, um, the 1980s forward, I would say, would be the, um, a lo- you know, the food supply changing the way that I described it. At the same time, the laboring jobs were also disappearing. Again, my dad was a, he was a farmer to grow up, uh, to begin with as, as a kid. And then he was a f- heavy steel, heavy equipment manufacturing, w- welder, welding type of guy mm. that was lifting steel all the time in, this, in the big factory. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she was working all the time with, you know, hanging clothes on the, on the line and all the stuff that she did physically. 
they were used to that. that that's that's the, the lifestyle they grew up with. And they had no, they had no allergies that I can think of because they'd grown up in the dirt, you know, of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say that most people these days, or many people these days are beginning, to, they're able to see that the physical part of it, the way we changed our eating and the way we changed our exertion um, had, a, had a huge deleterious effect on on our, our uh, health. Yeah. But most of them, they'll catch on to also the way that the the um orthodox or um traditional uh approach to dating and, and getting married and having it happen younger when both of them you know both the male and the female but particularly the female was, was in their fertile peak females fertile uh peak of fertility is, is age 19 to 29 and after 29 you start running into problems and uh, males is 24 to 26 so Becoming parents at those younger ages is really, really healthy, not only for the, the, the couple, but also for the, the children. So, and then, you know, all the things that young men and young women get into when they're single and, and 26, 27, 28 years old compared to what they're like. And again, on a good, in a good, good marriage situation, uh, a marriage, and you probably know this, but a marriage in a good situation happens to uh, mold men, you know, into uh, better, uh, per- better workers, better providers, l- less uh, apt to take drugs, um, get, in, get in trouble, uh, you know, jail type trouble, get murdered, murder somebody. All of those things go down um, when they get married. And then, of course, 15, age 15 to 25 is what I call the, the male danger zone, the testosterone trap, because that's when well, 17 is actually the, the highest level of, of testosterone in, in, a, in, a, in a male's life. So, and when they don't have much of a prefrontal cortex, as you know, um, to hold them back, they don't have the GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid um, inhibitory system in their brain at all until about 22, 23, 24 years old. It's just a, it's a recipe for disaster as far as males being killed by other males, uh, killing other males, uh, accidents. I'll, I'll give it to you this way. A male of that age group, 15 to 25, and again, you, you probably know this already, but your, your your listeners might not, 15 to 25, I call it the male danger zone, has about a four times, it's, it's round numbers here, but about a four times greater chance of being killed by suicide, homicide, car accident, or drug overdose than a female of the same age mm-hmm. because of those really, really high testosterone levels they have, and again, very little inhibitory uh, brain, you know, prefrontal cortex, or that whole major um, inhibitory system, the, the gamma aminobutyric acid system, not being um, matured until until uh, about 23, 24, 25. So, so I say all that to say this: that in my research, Clint, what I've come down to, and also my own personal experience, my life experience, the um, guardrails, I would call them that Christianity, uh, and I, I think other major world religions, but p- particularly I can speak to Christianity, uh, scientifically, you know, scientifically um, uh, scripture supported as far as optimal lifestyle, optimal uh, life outcomes, whether you want to go down that, you know, the biblical pathway or not, uh, just that's been the upshot of my mm. of my research. When we did the research for the book, um, I fastidiously did the research in the state of mind that 
I'm going to do whatever I find the, the best scientific research to say, I'm going to teach that on college campuses. Now, I didn't get the opportunity to do that because it didn't end up being woke woke enough. It was it was out of sync with the, the woke environment that we have now. Mm-hmm. But what I what I realized from reading uh, all of this different research, and it's been a ton, ton of research. I've had six years, I guess, five or six years to do more research since the book and since I've been canceled. Um, it clearly said, clearly shows that the, that the biblical or uh, major world religions uh, approach to um, chastity, you know, premarital chastity, and which leads to, by the way, it leads to marriage because it gets gets men to commit, uh, and and all of it, the whole the whole picture of it, being open to having children, um, which is a whole other thing. How we've got the depop- depopulation, the demographic collapse happening now mm-hmm. around the world. So all of it really um, adds up to. It's like the manufacturer specifications for for a machine. It's how does how's this machine going to work the best? And those either biblical admonitions or morals, uh, ethics, however you want to look at it, is how we work best. And and again, I think we've seen on a lot of different levels. I think we've seen a lot of harm um, and a lot of suboptimal, uh, very suboptimal human functioning since we've gone away from those societal uh, norms and, and morals, mores that, that we're talking about uh, of being expected to, to get get uh, married, you know, before you, you have sex and sticking with the person you married, um, supporting your children. And again, them taking as long as they take ch- human children take to to develop, which is, again, very the next ne- the next nearest one to us is the orangutan. It takes them eight years to be able to be on their own. But most creatures young creatures can take care of them so they run they can defend themselves they can get away you know from predators human babies because our brains are so big and we have to be born so prematurely you know you and i both know and people that are listening to us know if they know anything about children that babies are helpless basically uh you know they're helpless for the first eight nine months and then they're pretty much helpless until I don't know when they 22 when they, when they find yeah when they find how old are your kids <laughs> five and a half and eight and a half well you, yeah you got, got a long, long way, to go. way to go man and i can tell you that's 100 percent true you know and, does and all that, that, go ahead. does that make sense though that kind of oh no it makes perfect sense i mean we've we've, we've talked about the, this before and we were literally just talking about that this weekend mm-hmm. um and that's why i actually started this podcast was just having these discussions and looking at the big picture of what's happening and the and the changes the average person doesn't have time to do that. You know, the mm-hmm. average person is just in this, in this grind of living. And they think that, you know, all of us kind of get stuck in, this is how the world's always been. And we don't realize how quickly things have escalated. I, uh, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times now, but I've put out, you know, I'm putting out a new book called building better bridges, a guidebook mm-hmm. to having difficult conversations that can save our kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you you're talking about and a lot of stuff I've read on what you're saying is kind of the 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 book my book is the precursor you know to that early kind of childhood development where i'm i'm looking at a lot of prevention and and how do we how do we look at what's happened with parenting you know just the idea of parenting right didn't come into the english language until 1958 or something like that's insane but we Mm -hmm. you know you tell people that and they're like what right and it's like yeah we haven't been talking about parenting for very long from a uh 
you know, industrialized situation. Same thing with education, same thing with, you know, uh, our medical system, same thing. I mean, all these things are relatively new things. Right. I mean, even as a counselor, you know, I'm a Christian counselor, I'm a licensed professional counselor, but in the reality, like that's only been around for 70 years and Christian counseling's only been around for about 40. So like, right. we're just not that far into thinking, we think we know everything, but we're not even willing to look at kind of the totality of all the information without saying, without saying, well, that means that you're telling me what to do. And I think that's the most important thing I want to follow up on our conversation with trans and, and all these things and men and women is everybody's discussing what the research says. Everybody who uh, educator is trying to look at what the best option is, right? We're going to look at the science. We're going to look at the research and we're going to say, here's what, here's what the best guess we can do. And we're going to present that to you. And then you get to choose what you want to do and believe, right. you know, we're not telling you what to believe. No one's trying to force it down your throat. And I think because so many Christians have done that and there's been so much religious trauma and so much religious abuse, then having a conversation like this, it kind of feels like you're walking on eggshells because you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to tell anybody what to do, but you do want to discuss what we see to be the the best evidence in science. And everybody else has that right too, right? That's why I keep asking right. like, what's the opposition? Because I want to hear the opposition. I want to see the science. I read it all the time. I'm constantly trying to read, you know, about addiction or about depression or about, uh, I mean, right now the big thing is um, microdosing and, 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 you know, psilocybin and mushrooms. And I'm like, I want to read about that and learn about that. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe that's, I don't want to let my religious lens or my, my spiritual lens or biblical lens, whatever you want to call it, you know, cloud something that may be a very healthy, natural thing. But I also don't want to think, oh, it's just healthy because some people have said that it is. And so I'm going to take that. And I hope that people listening can learn to do that, that, you know, we're just presenting our life experience and, uh, and the things that we've been exposed to in the spheres of influence. Somebody in Africa may have a totally different experience and they need to present in their sphere of influence what they think is true. And then we're right. all just humans trying to figure this stuff out together. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the way exactly that I am. I'm always reading. I'm always interested in, um, you know, other perspectives, but I really have come into this and it's kind of developed over the years with me of really not having a perspective, just kind of seeing, okay, what I think the best scientific ever evidence is and particularly how it either resonates or it doesn't with my previous knowledge before any of this political stuff happened, it became important the way it is um, of, of for, for instance, how the brain works, how the dopamine, how the serotonin, uh, the different neurotransmitters work, how, how the physiology of how humans work. And then does this science, this, this research, does that make, make sense with how I know that it works? Mm -hmm. And that's how I think you could get a really good sense of it is, this is, is this realistic along the lines of how the human body, the human person um, actually functions, at least most all of them. And again, I think that's what makes it difficult is you do have, you have anomalies, you have aberrations in anything. I mean, any any kind of process, you're going to have a few things that don't come out exactly the way every, everything, everything else and everybody else does. But, and I think you have to, as you said, make room for that. You have to make room for people to have their differences and feel the way that they feel. Because in, in some cases, physically, from what I can tell, there's going to be real reasons, real physical reasons behind that. It's when you have situations where people, where it's a socially... Um, 
imbued thing uh, and and there's steps taking that that are you know um irreversible that and down the line where you, especially with young people with the way their brains are developing from the the back maturing from the back to the front back and low uh to the front and the high um knowing that that's the case um trying to throw out there to them the the physiological the natural science i guess you'd say um facts of the matter as we know them as we know them now and kind of the history of it you know how much of this was being shown before it became a a thing so to speak in society and what were the what were the rates of it and that type of thing so um yeah i agree with exactly what you said i'm and i'm very i'm curious i'm curious as to what people have to say and, and research that's done but i i do i go through research and I, and I will say to myself hmm there's a political agenda here and so i i'm i'm gonna read it i'm a, i'm a think about how much it, it sense it makes with what i know to be the physical case and then i'll make a judgment like you said and, and uh, at that point the one thing i will say too to your comment about worldwide and, and different cultures and different things being meaningful or not you know in a, in, a, in a different culture i think that's that's very true the fascinating thing though i think is that worldwide the human being as a physical entity Species, yeah yeah has the same you can go anywhere in the world you're going to find the same physiology basically in an american versus a tunisian or you know russian or or, or uh southeast asian or, or or whatever you're going to find the same you're going to look different and they're going to have different maybe statures and everything but the physiology is going to work pretty basically the same you can give a blood transfusion to one and and you know back and forth and they can mate with each other and they're going to there's going to have, be viable offspring if that 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 happens but um so a lot of what came out of my research or our research for the book was that kind of universality you know of the of the way people are attracted or they're not attracted, the way the male's brains work versus the female's brains, how they're constructed differently. You find that, you find that worldwide. And that was, and not only that, you find it cross, cross species because a lot of the same, you know, your serotonin, your different uh, neurotransmitters will work the same in a dog's brain as they do, as they do in the human brain. So when you really look at the big picture, as you said, which I think I love the idea of what you're doing, you know, on this podcast, I think, because I think the big picture answers so many questions. The Asking Why podcast, a great, great title too. Thanks. Um, um, you're welcome. Well, the reason um, I said, I'm going to preface it real quick, because I don't think sure. I've ever said this on here, but one of the reasons that we named it that, and also why I want to have these conversations is to do it with kindness, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I see in our culture that I feel like is, uh, is so frustrating to me is people talking about these different issues from a very didactic, angry, frustrated, me versus you, you're wrong, you should do this, look at all the harm you're causing on either side. And as I was listening to podcasts over, you know, last 10 years, but also, or not 10 years, but five years, and then over the course of COVID, I just kept getting frustrated with like, yeah, but that sounds so mean. Like what you're saying is, I think, true and factual, but you're not saying it in a way that someone's going to hear it. And again, mm -hmm. I think, People who are offended by the conversation we're having, they're going to turn it off and be offended. But I think there is a pretty large population of people who, if you say it differently, if you say it in a trauma-responsive way, if you if you say it from a kind, you know, I would say a, a Christ-centered way where you speak truth 
and grace at the same time, um, it's way more palpable for people to at least have the discussion. Right. And I think that's important. You know, I mean, as a, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, again, which we try, which we didn't on the book, and because in our minds were uh, was the picture of you got to have just secular information that is absolutely backed up, but research-wise, you know, uh, from a secular scientific perspective, in order to be able to speak to these students on these campuses. And again, like I said, it didn't work out that way. Um, but you know, you, it becomes dispassionate at that point. You're just laying out what the what the science says to them. So, uh, which is that, interesting because it doesn't work out. Like that's the interesting part about it is, you you try to do it from a non Christian, non biblical perspective, and you just give the facts, and you're still canceled. Right, because things have changed so much. You know, since from 2017 to now, basically. You know, wild. So it's going in the direction. Yeah, it's going in a direction that isn't scientific, you know, and, um, is, um, well, you know, you know, no need to go into that, but I, 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 going back to what you said, I think it's really, really good, really good insight, Clint, that from a Christian perspective, if you're coming from that, then you need to be, be, um, kind in whatever you do and whatever the discussion, you know, gets into or entails, you have to say what, you're saying you have to stand for the truth, obviously, but you have to say it within love, like you said, and you have to do it in a way where you care about the other person and you you want them to benefit from the scientific truth that you've you've learned from. The thing, the thing I'll say on that, on regard with regard to that, with me, I mean, I've I've had challenges in this sexuality area. I've had challenges with, with temptation and that type of thing. I think almost all males do, high, especially high testosterone males. And so what I, where I found this secular, scientific, you know, natural science uh, research helpful is that it helped me to understand myself better and, and understand why sometimes you have inclinations that you wish you didn't. And I guess self-management became easier uh, for me. And uh, that's my hope. That's been my hope for, with the college students I've worked with and whoever I've worked with is can kind of give them that same gift as far as okay, here's, here's what's going on. You know, here's what's going on in the male's head, female's head. Here's what men need to know about the women and vice versa. And what men need to know about themselves and vice versa. So when you get those insights, those scientific insights, then you can kind of get outside yourself and coach yourself. And again, be, be, uh, have a scientific, um, knowledge of it. So you can kind of be dispassionate with yourself when you, when you, when you find yourself going down a pathway that you know, kind of conscious wise, it's not a good pathway, then you can also say, okay, yeah, I understand why I'm doing this. Uh, you know, I'm not a horrible person for thinking this way. And the, the proper thing for me to do is take over from my limbic system, which is making me want to do this and uh, let my cerebral cortex, you know, do the, do the, do the work here and walking away, going the other direction or whatever. So that's been really the passion of my heart. And I think my calling with this is, is to, put these scientific tools and these understandings in particularly young people's minds, because, you know, I alluded to the testosterone trap slash male danger zone. There's just so many ways, that the, the, especially these days, um, with internet porn and everything you're an expert in, um, the emphasis on not getting married, you know, younger, um, hooking up instead of having a relationship, uh, all the different ways that young people are kind of pushed in a bad direction. 
it can be extremely helpful to them to know the science, what the science says, and um, be able to kind of cling onto that as opposed to the different things that they're being told. So, yeah, that's a great point. I think one of the things we've, we got put, I've worked with human trafficking for years and, um, you know, we've had work, we've worked with, um, people who worked in strip clubs and prostitution and, you know, all the things. And one of the pushbacks I've heard from people is, you know, especially from like sex workers guild or, you know, national sex workers things is, you know, these people want to be doing these things. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing for them to be doing if they want to sell their bodies or, you know, strip in front of people. That's fine. Um, and again, I'm not here to judge people on their worth and value, but when you look at the science, you know, not even from a moral or, you know, biblical perspective, when you look at the science for a female to stand in a, in a room full of men, they don't know and take their clothes off uh, is one of the most vulnerable things you could possibly do. And in any normal circumstance based on science, you would go into fight, flight or freeze and, you know, attack, run away, cry, you know, do something emotional just based on the science of that situation. And so, ask your you know we have to ask ourselves the question what makes it possible that these people can do this right and it's like well we know in order for that to happen there's disassociation there's a history of trauma there's all these things and so our society it feels like doesn't want to just doesn't even want to talk about the science of it because they want to go well you're just a christian and so the reason you have a problem with it it's like a moral you're morally opposed i don't even believe in that stuff and you're being judgmental and it's like well no the science itself that you created as a secular environment says that these things are how these things happen. So what are we talking yeah. about? Right. And I, and I try to do that with the book really well, where I'm just talking about the the importance of, you know, the bridges or these conversations between you and your child and the better bridges you build, the stronger they are, the heavier they can, the heavier things they can hold. Right. And so as you, right. as you disciple and teach your child and, and they grow, you have more age appropriate conversations, but you've had so many and you've built a bridge so much that, these difficult things are the, the bridge can hold it. And I think, um, I try to do a good job of, I mean, I can't say, well, the Bible says so, right. I'm not going to come from a, because it doesn't, it doesn't tell you what to do with your three and a half year old around, you know, an erection, you know, it doesn't tell you these, it doesn't guide you. The principles are there, but the overarching, like, what do you actually do in this moment when my four-year-old's having a fit and I don't know what I should do? You know, it's kind of, uh, it's blank on that in Matthew. And so, you know, but we do have general revelation. We have the science that says, here's how a kid is created. Here's how they're wired. Here's the best knowledge that we have about their brains and their bodies and how these things will affect those things. So let's use that information. Um, but I know some people are going to go, well, he's a Christian, so he's biased. And it's like, well, yes, I have a, a belief that direction, but the science itself is what is showing us what's best for these children overall. And for me, I get to, right? I'm a human. I have rights. If the science doesn't match my philosophical and moral beliefs, then I have to figure out why that is myself and, and wrestle with that. And so do we all. So anyway. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um and that's why I, when I went into the, the research for the book, I took the same approach you did as far as like, I just want to see what the science says. And if, if it says that we're met, we're designed to be polyamorous, then I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, that's going to be what I'm going to te be teaching. And, you know, I mean, like some of the, some of the folks that have written some of these books where they claim that we're basically you know, like chimpanzees, you know, we're the same as chimpanzees and, uh, um, that we're, we were repressed because, we're not polyamorous or or polygamous, uh, multi-polygamous as, as they are. 
But again, what I found sci- um, fascinating scientifically was, you know, and again, you probably know this, but maybe a lot of your a lot of your listeners don't. You can look at a species and you can tell you can tell by their body structure what kind of a uh, mating system they have or, or or sexual nature that they have. For instance, the chimpanzees. Um, again, most Christians probably wouldn't go here, but but I'll I'll just give you an example for folks that might not be Christian listeners. Uh, if you're if you're were, if you're wondering whether we're supposed to be, if we're monogamous, we have a monogamous um, history, which it isn't all monogamous. We've got a fair amount of polygynous uh, yep. uh, history way back when, you know, uh, the ma- one male and several females. But uh, especially for the last, if you want to s- speak scientifically, about the last two million years, um, there's been been a situation where it's it's gone in the direction of of monogamy. And you can tell that by looking at our bodies compared to chimpanzees. And again, we have, we've got the four, you know, four species in our really our, our genetic family, the starting with the gorillas and then orangutans and then chimpanzees and then us. We're 90, we have 99% of the, of the DNA, the, the same DNA as, as uh, chimpanzees. And it's almost 99, it's right at 98.99. <clears throat> so you'd think we're extremely similar and that's that's the argument that these folks in the books that are saying that we're actually supposed to be uh, polyamorous are making but there are differences and with a chimpanzee their for instance their their testicles are three times the size on average of, of a human male even though we have bigger bodies on average than, than they do and their females the chimpanzee females you know, they're, they're strongly estrus related. They're strongly, they're only interested in sex and the males are only inter- interested in sex with them when they are in heat or estrus and their, their genitals swell. They swell hugely. They get red. Uh, they give off a really distinctive odor and they end up mating, you know, the females end up mating with most, or, or if not all of the um, adult or even close to adult males in their, in their, pride or whatever what the pr- proper term for the group is uh and with, with humans you don't see any of that you see again the one-third the size uh of, of testicles uh you see triple the size of the brain in the human of, of the chimpanzee you see no or very little um menstrual um ovulatory cycle estrus cycle uh, estrus time, um, swelling and any kind of signs, no signs of, you know, ovulation, hidden ovulation in humans. And you see humans, um, females, uh, if they, if they're together long enough and, and if they have a good relationship with each other, they start ovulating, right. ovulating on the same cycle. And then the other kind of, I think the one that struck me the most was, and I'll get to the reasons why in a minute here, but you get, uh, the one that struck me the most was that chimpanzees are immune to uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, uh, syphilis, all the classic um, STDs, STIs, uh, that humans so readily get. They're, we're so vulnerable to. And the reason is, is so for so many generations, they've, they have been promiscuous in the way that I'm describing. And so they've weeded out, just like with, with uh, alcohol with the Native Americans and I guess tobacco came from the Native Americans to the Europeans and, and different things that we haven't had in our in our developmental history uh, really killed 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 them off and typhus and smallpox and all that with the the Native Americans. Um, 
we have not had for the last two million years much of a um, habit in most with most of our species of being anything but monogamous. And that's the reason, and again, it goes back to the brain size and how much effort and, and nutrition and uh, everything when you're in a hunting and gathering environment um, to get the, the calories and the iron, uh, uh, iron and uh, omega-3 uh, fatty acids that a woman needs to have in order to carry off a pregnancy. And then after you know 500 extra calories a day for that, and then 500 more when she's breastfeeding a day. So uh, in order to have the brains we have, in order to have the human beings as they come out as a 21-year-old, um, we've had to have this monogamous uh, situation. And we're very, like I said, very vulnerable to these uh, STDs and such. And we, again, we don't display any of the other uh, characteristics. We're closer to the to the uh, gorillas who, the gorillas are, silverback gorilla has three or four uh, mates and their testicles happen to be extremely small, you know, proportionally to to the chimpanzees especially, but, but, but us as well, because no, there's no, um, there's no question of who's, who's dominant. They they compete with their bodies against each other. The males do, mm-hmm. and the chimpanzees to get to the the reason for the the huge uh, testicles, the chimpanzees they compete inside the the female, and so the sperm the the, the one that has the most uh, numerous sperm over over generation after generation after generation is going to sire more of the offspring, and therefore you're going to get males that are born with larger and larger testicles when you have a, a promiscuous mm. um, a mating system. So it's things like that. And there's more that we could go into. Of but course. I won't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, loving it. I just know we can't, we can talk about this for like five hours. It's great. Right. So, so physically there's physical um, ways that you can tell what a species, what their nature entails. And that's one of them, you know, for us. And again, our brains are three times the size of, uh, they've got, if you want to put it in the uh, nomenclature, normal nomenclature, three three times, the the chimpanzees have three times bigger balls than we do, and we have three times bigger brains. (laughs) And so the the outcome of that has been- We don't always act like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the outcome from that has been what we've developed as humans as far as everything we developed, the, the, the society and the, the, um, the civilization, I guess you'd say, compared to what, a, what chimpanzees have, have accomplished. And again, I, as, a, as a Christian, then coming back and looking at it after, after gathering all that scientific evidence, I think there's a, a, a special purpose, you know, for humans. And, and, and then you read that, you read in the Bible of what God says as far as um, how man is made in his image and um, there's a community right off the bat, you know, as far as the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and then the community that that he, um, that God um, recommends, I guess, or, or I guess, uh, commands, I guess, Adam and Eve, you know, uh, for them to be for each other and they complete each other. And uh, then their, their children coming out of that. Uh, yeah, be fruitful and multiply and be over the earth and subdue it and take care of the animals and the plants and yeah. Right. So the whole, the way we are as a species and comparing it to other species, um, again, you can scientifically um, look at the evidence and be pretty dispassionate about, uh, are, are we uh, meant to be uh, polyandrous? Uh, not polyandrous, but, but um, polyamorous. Um, 
I don't think so. Not by looking at the physical evidence and 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 what again, natural lifestyle matching. When you look at the, the our ancestors, what's come down to us now, and then when you look at from the 1960s forward, you know, with, with all the social changes that I mentioned earlier, and how families function, how people function in general now compared to how they did before that. Now, of course, you're going to have your Outliers. things that they did wrong. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have you're gonna have your your things like racism, which when I was a little kid, I, uh, that that was real racism back then, and you're gonna have your uh, discrimination against uh, sexual minorities and things that that they could have definitely done better. But as far as family formation, marriage formation, family formation, I think it it followed it followed the natural pathway that whether you're following whether you're looking at the Bible or any other religious text uh, or not is humans are going to function generally better if they go down those pathways with the guardrails that we've been talking about than otherwise. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. I love thinking about it. Um, again, like I said, we could talk about this for so many hours. I think, um, what I want for people from this episode to really take into consideration is, is again, just pulling back and looking at the big picture and, and being able to look at historically how things have changed. Um, and I, and again, he referenced my book one more time. Like that's, that's the hope of it is that in parenting and in talking about sexual trauma, um, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the Ted talk, but you know, it did. this understanding, I did. It, was, it, was, it was great. Thanks man. Just understanding that the neglect that's happened, um, in an industrialized society, but forever, but especially in an industrialized society of parents, not teaching their children about consent, body safety, you know, private parts, sexual development, and um, and just the damage that that's doing from a developmental, psychosocial, physical perspective forever, but then enter the last 15 years and look at pornography and the cell phone and the internet and the exposure rate and all these things, um, it's no wonder where, where we're at. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, couldn't agree more. And it's just so much so many levels of super stimuli in the in these areas with everything you just named, you know, I mean previous to 15 years ago i mean it was like kind of the calm good old days in the 90s <laughs> up to about the mid 90s as far yeah. as the all the things you just named off and it, it's just um multiplied it's exponentially multiplied the, the harms that were there before as you're saying um they were there but they've been magnified out of all all proportion now yeah and our parent our parents um and i would say probably your generation's uh uh margin for error was, was much small, uh, larger, you know, uh, where yeah. ours is much smaller and, um, we have to be even more considerate and more on top of it and more, you know, uh, educated on what's, what's attacking, what's coming at our kids and, um, be able to, if we want the next generation to survive. And that's my biggest concern. Um, is we look at historically, like what you just said and all that we've talked about today, we look at the history of, how moving away from the nuclear family and, and, and mom and dad and the connection and the safety and all those kind of things. And yes, of course there were things that those, you know, generations of people were doing that were heinous, whether it was racism or sexism or abuse that was all happening. And in some ways that stuff has gotten progressively way better, obviously. And mm-hmm. the society in some ways has gotten better as a, as a whole in those areas. However, where we continue to lack in health is in the topics that we're talking about. Um, you know, sexuality, relationships, those things, those things seem to be going into the toilet statistically as a whole, you know, yes, there are populations of people who are doing it well, but as we, 
as we think as a society, look at our technology and look at how smart we are and look at our medical system and look at where, look at how we spread the earth and do all these things. Our relational life between husbands and wives, between parents, between kids and parents, to me, it feels like the statistics and the research is showing that it's in the toilet. And so my conversation is how do we, as like, I have a five and a half and eight year old, so I'm biased, right? I'm like, I want to have this conversation with parents because your kids are my kids' peers or their authority in the next 10 to 15 years. And so we have a chance still to adjust the sails and turn the boat and do some different things, but we, we have got to do it very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm excited for, you know, this conversation that me and you are having, uh, for people to look at your books and your research and your stuff, just to gain more insight into, what's actually been happening historically from a scientific perspective, because the average person is just so lost in where to go for good information. Um, and again, my, my book, you know, there's a couple of, you know, I think organic thoughts and, and new thoughts in there, but what I'm really trying to do is take all the research from consent and body safety and sexuality and porn and bring it all together for a parent and go, Hey, here's from zero to 18, you know, what's going on in our society, where we've come from. And then here's some tools and resources that you can prevent a lot of things from happening. Or if you've already missed it, you can help your kid recover from a lot of things that have already happened. Um, Because no parent, very few parents have the time to listen to 12 podcasts and read 15 books and go out and find all the best information. And so I'm trying to synthesize it and then use my Christian and clinical lens to go, you know, here's just what my one guy's opinion is. Take it for what you, you what it's worth. Well, it sounds to me like it's worth a lot. I hope <laughs> because so. Because there's a lot of wisdom there. And just you having the insight that this is so, so needed by so many parents and people these days because of, you know, the um, information overload that we all have, the blizzard of information that we're, that's coming out all of us. They, a tool like that in such an important aspect of our lives it is invaluable, I would say. So, you know, you're a young, young father and you've had this, in, this insight of what would probably help you and you want to help other young parents. And uh, I just think it's extremely wise. And in our conversation we've had today, I just, I see a lot of um, wisdom in you beyond your years. Uh, and also just uh, that curiosity that you have and the willingness to look at all sides and be fair about it. But then, actually tell the truth what you think the truth is about it and, and not not necessarily go along with the agenda you know that, that people are wanting you to say uh, i think that's invaluable because we we have too few truth tellers out there um that are especially the ones that are caring as they do it and um showing christian love and showing uh consideration you know for the other people and wanting the best for them and wanting to help them rather than harm them with your argument you want to there's, I agree. There's so many people out there these days that they want to just win the argument. They want to harm the other side, you know, and they want they, they want there to be other side, the other side. They, they want to um, it to be acrimonious, you know, in society. So um, we have to we have to get along with each other. Um, and that goes for everybody. But that also goes with males and females, because we can't have a successful species if we don't have the kind of cooperation we've had between males and females of the past. And they had some really tough, tough times physically and materially compared to what we have now. But you beautifully laid out the challenges we have, which is navigating through all this, all this information, all this instant, you know, communication, 
porn at a at a, at a child's hand uh, with a, with an iPhone. Um, the things that our ancestors are my parents um, they probably couldn't have envisioned uh, the level of challenge the level of challenge on the level of the personal relationships and forming you know couples and marriages and and families uh, it's never been harder than it is now so um, folks like yourself are extremely important um, and voices like yours are extremely important and you know both you and I they're going to just going to continue to lay out um, from our life experience and, and also from the research we've done, what we see actually is the truth, truth being. And because there really is only one truth. Um, there's a truth of how human, human beings, you know, their bodies operate generally. Again, we have those extremely small uh, uh, exceptions that we have to respect. But generally, um, you have, again, worldwide, you have humans functioning in, this, in the same way. And that really, that really, uh, you know, we talk about racism a little bit. That really is an argument against racism when you realize that whether whatever part of the world you're standing in and standing on, you're 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 a human just like the other human, whether you're in America or in uh, Bangladesh or, or or wherever. And so every human should be treated with dignity and with respect, and and uh, again, um, helped as much as they can with the advanced uh, science that we've developed here in, in Europe and other places like that, helped as much as they can to understand the human condition in the midst of this technological revolution we've had. And again, food science, because it's more of a scientific situation now. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily cooking. It's uh, trying to figure out what's the most addicting uh, substance. And then same thing with porn, same thing with just screens in general. So. Um, you're a wise, wise man, and I applaud you. So, um, Thanks, I hope that, as Thanks, we said, yeah. well, yeah, exactly. We, we all we didn't get where we are, you know, on our own. It's a it's a very humbling situation, but I hope that we can stay in contact. And I know that I've learned a lot from you today, and uh, I'm been inspired actually by you because you have a the right attitude. I think as far as whether it's a young, young, young parent or just a young, younger, so to speak, person, um, you've got the right, right thought process, right attitude, because we all have to work through this our, uh, together. You know, the people that are older with the younger and the real young ones, and uh, we have to work through this together and find the best pathway. Yeah, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much, and thank you for coming on. Um, you can check out um, his book at, uh, is it on Amazon, Dr. Mullen? It is, yeah. Um, you can Amazon and uh, most booksellers would have it, but particularly Amazon, you probably get your best, okay, best and, price there. And then you so. have a website, right? Drjoemalone.com. dot com. They can yep, get all Dr. Joe Malone, Yeah, and drjoemalone.com and then there, we have one, uh, sexiq.org, that kind of tries to speak to the educating the young people to make sex and uh, relationships. Um, more positive in their life and yeah i'd like to have you come back on and deep dive into that so i'll uh, i'll get sunny to reach out to you and and try to reschedule but for now guys thank y'all for listening uh i really appreciate you coming on man and i hope everybody got a lot out of this god bless